Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck, four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. Back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony federal or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and Northeast Kansas for years. Also be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. I think we got some more clarity in the Big 12 title race last night. After Kansas State topped Kansas 83-82 to in a thrilling overtime matchup in Manhattan. Uh, one thing I do want to admit where I was wrong. I believe it was yesterday. Hell, I've said it a lot of times. That in games where Kansas State doesn't get production from either Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel, I didn't like their chances. I didn't think they had the depth to beat a team in the Big 12. That was maybe in the top half, let alone Kansas. But last night, Kansas State won over the second-ranked Kansas Jayhawks with Marquise Noel scoring four points. They got 15 from Naquan Tomlin, a double-double, 15-10, and 10, 24 from Keontae Johnson, and 24 from Desi Sills. Uh, what's almost laughable about that number by Desi Sills, uh, Desi Sills came into the game shooting 25% from three-point range. He was two of three last night. Came in shooting 46% from the floor. He was 7 of 11. Averaged 9 points per game coming in. And he dropped 24 off the bench for Kansas Thirty one Kansas State. 31 bench points for the Wildcats. As for the Jayhawks, they only got 8. Uh, by the end of overtime, Kansas had 3 of their starters foul out. So they were playing with Joseph Yesfu on the floor, Zach Clements, and Bobby Pettiford. A lot of fouls called in this game. But at the end of the day, it was a better team right now in Kansas State beating the second-ranked Jayhawks. Jalen Wilson gave them 38-9-1. K.J. Adams, who fouled out, was a perfect 6-for-6 six six from the floor, 17 points. Grady Dick had 16 points but was 1-of-8 from deep. Dewan Harris was 1-of-7, did have 11 assists, but uh, critical turnovers at both the end of regulation and overtime. And Kevin McCuller had uh, his worst game of his season. Uh, no points, only took two shots, had seven boards, but was a complete non-factor. Uh, was given the responsibility of defending a guy like Keontae Johnson, and Keontae Johnson went nuts. Uh, it has been unbelievable what Jerome Tang has been doing to Kansas State in just 18 games. I mean, when he took over this roster, he lost his best player, Nigel Pack. He went to Miami, and he had to reload this team with transfers. 
and you look at their starting five, only one of them played for Kansas State last year. Keontae Johnson wasn't playing last year. Naquan Tomlin wasn't playing in the Big 12. Cam Carter was in the SEC. Eola, I think that's how you pronounce it, who's not even their true starter. They would be starting David Gasson, but he's hurt. You know, he's a guy that played at Hofstra. Marquise Noel was the only guy that played at K-State, and last year was his first year at Kansas State. Desi Sills was at Arkansas State. Ishmael Massoud off the bench did play at Kansas State, but those are two guys right there that were your only Kansas State players under Bruce Weber in 2021 and 2022. Completely overhauled the roster, and I think that early on, everybody could chalk up Kansas State to just beating up on bad teams. You know, they were better than last year's team, but they were going to be exposed in Big 12 play. It's been far from that. They had a brutal stretch to open up conference play, and they're 5-1. and one. They've beaten West Virginia, they've beaten Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and now Kansas. Their one loss coming to a top-20 team nationally in TCU. 5-1, and one, tied for first place in the Big 12, and you just beat your bitter rival in Kansas and Manhattan in overtime. You're also 3-0 and in overtime games this season. As for Kansas, again, this is a January loss. You're not going to sweep Kansas State every single year, and being quite honest, it's going to be very tough to sweep Kansas State now as long as Jerome Tang is there. It gives you more passion, more fire, more venom for that game here in two weeks at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, This is not by any means a bad loss. It stings more than others because you lose to Kansas State, and you lose to Kansas State in their first year with Jerome Tang. But you're still 16-2, and tied for first place in the Big 12. You have good wins against Iowa State, Texas Tech, uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. So you're still 5-1. and That uh, just makes it that, more, that much more important that you found a way to beat Tech on the road, West Virginia on the road, come back to beat Oklahoma, and hang on to beat Iowa State because you're still in good shape to win the Big 12. And if I was a betting man, if I was to put money down, I would still put money on Kansas to win the Big 12 because – You know, there's still games against Iowa State, of course, but you already at least guaranteed a split. You get Kansas State at home. You get TCU at home this Saturday to get back on track. But I think everybody was saying on Twitter last night, you know, if you're a Kansas fan that uh, wanted to jump the gun and say that, well, now Kansas State's going to win the Big 12 or, you know, that's a a brutal loss. And I was one of those people that certainly uh, was not happy with the performance of Kansas being a alum of KU, but... I think when you take a little bit of time, you wait 30 minutes after the initial loss had happened, you go, okay, this is the 13th team nationally, uh, a completely hostile environment. You didn't have three of your starters in overtime, and you found a way uh, to at least have one final possession to try to win that game. And Kansas State deserves all the credit in the world here. They are a very good basketball team. They are going to be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament. There's no doubt about that now. I think we've toyed with the idea of this team being a a 20 to 25 win team. They're going to win more than 25 games. I mean, if you've already got 16, you still got some, not gimmies, but easier opponents like a Texas Tech now on Saturday who's 0-6 in conference play. You can just pile up the wins. It's a team that is pretty much healthy, with the exception of David Gasson. They've been selling out Bramwich Coliseum. It's going to be a tough out for anybody that goes there. But they got, they did exactly what they needed to do this year to remain in the top three in the Big 12. They had to split with Kansas. You know, if you would have lost to Kansas big last night, would have back-to-back lost to the TCU and Kansas, not bad ones, but I think they really needed the one on Tuesday night to show that they're going to be here for a while. 
you know, this may go down is one of the best hires in Kansas State history in terms of basketball. It's only 18 games. You don't want to overreact, but I can't really overstate how much Jerome Tang has done in one year. Not even one year. 18 games. I mean, this K-State team was putrid last year. They were the first team eliminated in the Big 12 tournament. And if it wasn't for, I believe, Oklahoma State, you know, who knows what K-State would have been seeded in the tournament. And they were terrible the year before. Bruce Weber just never could elevate that team. Jerome Tang has immediately elevated Kansas State. Reignited this great basketball rivalry. I mean, you're going back to the Frank Martin days. Hell, I don't ever remember Frank Martin having a Kansas State team start like this. This many top 25 wins, uh, beating Kansas first time around. Now, there's no guarantee that you hang with Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse. I can tell you this. This will be the most anticipated matchup in Lawrence since the Beasley game. And when Beasley beat Kansas in 08 and then came to Allen Fieldhouse, said we can beat him in Manhattan, we can beat him in Lawrence, we'll beat him anywhere, we'll beat him in Africa, and KU 20-balled him. I mean, it's going to be equally as hostile, if not far more, than it was last night in Manhattan. It was a great basketball game. A lot of fouls. I mean, more fouls than I would like. But if you are somebody right now that's complaining about officiating, you can... Uh, just go ahead and shut on up. Stop blaming officials. You know, I saw Kansas fans uh, tweeting out the picture of Ishmael Masood laying on the baseline with 1.5 left. Stop blaming officials. That's not what you need to do. I've always said this, and I'm going to stick to it. I'm not just going to jump ship because it's my college team that lost. I think blaming officials is for losers. I think it's the easy thing to do. You can point out a lot of things that Kansas did wrong other than bad officiating. They shot 20% from beyond the arc. They took 29 threes. That is a flawed offensive game plan. You can tell pretty early on if you're going to be making a lot of those shots or missing them. Kansas was never on. 6 of 29 from deep. They also shot 70% from the free throw line. K-State nearly 80. That's the difference in this game. They shot a better percentage from the floor, field goals overall, but free throws, three-pointers, and turnovers advantage Kansas State. Kansas State shot over 40% from deep. They also took 12 less three-pointers than Kansas. They wanted to go inside to get their buckets, and it worked. From the free throw line, 26 of 33. Very even. Was it ticky-tack? Yeah, there were some uh, missed calls here and there, some soft calls, but they went both ways. Don't blame officials. That's soft to do. That's what losers do. And you can't sit here and blame officials for losing in overtime. There were bad mistakes by Kansas. How about this? At the end of regulation and overtime, Kansas didn't even get a damn shot up. That's bad. That's putrid, especially coming out of a timeout. Now, at the end of regulation, Dewan Harris dribbling out top and then gets a screen from Zuby Ejafor, who just rolls immediately right to him. The ball's knocked away by Naquan Tomlin, and fortunately, uh, Zuby Ejafor gets back and contests the shot by Keontae Johnson to force overtime. At the end of overtime, when you're down by one, you decide to let it play, and Dewan Harris dribbles to nowhere, basically, falls down, ball rolls away, K-State keeps it alive, and they go on to win. But again, when you can digest this game, you can swallow the pill and, and understand where both teams are at. And this is why it's so important that you go back and listen to what Jerome Tang said yesterday. Or two days ago. Jerome Tang said, 
no matter who we're playing, it's one win in the standings, it's one loss in the standings. It doesn't matter who we play. And, you know, he also reiterated that after K-State had stormed the court. He took the mic because the crowd was chanting FKU on the floor, and they'd done it a numerous amount of times during the game. I have no problem with the chant. That's what makes a rivalry a rivalry game, and you're more often than not not going to prevent drunk college kids from chanting what they want to chant. If there was any guy at the University of Kansas State to stop something like that, it would be Jerome Tang now. I think he's got more power at the university than Chris Kleiman does, I would say because of what he's been able to do so quickly with this basketball program. Only other guy that has more power than him, Bill Snyder. But Jerome Tang took the mic and said this is not about who we beat, we expect to win, all that type of stuff. And that is showing that culture is changing in Manhattan. Jerome Tang doesn't want to hear the crowd chanting that, but, I mean, it happens. It's a rivalry game. I really don't have any issue with it. But... He's also looking at it as, hey, that's a great win. You beat the second team in the country, or second-ranked team in the country. You beat them in overtime. You're not 3-0 in overtime games, but job's not finished. Now, you're 5-1. and one. You're tied in a three-way, uh, or you're in a three-way tie at the top of the Big 12 with K- KU and Iowa State. But it's about moving on. Uh, they're on to Texas Tech now. And I think in years past, a lot of K-State coaches would put big-time emphasis on this game. More focused than any other team on their schedule. And then it would show after that that they couldn't really hang around in the Big 12. I think Jerome Tang's going to have these guys fired up for pretty much whoever they play. They'll be just as fired up to play Texas Tech. At least the players will. Maybe not the crowd. But that's showing that culture is changing in Manhattan. Just because you won last night doesn't mean you're going to get where you want to be. I mean, now Jerome Tang has those players believing they can make a deep run in the tournament. They can get to the Final Four. They can get to a national championship. And they were preseason picked to finish last in the Big 12. They've already overachieved, but that's not where they want to be at. They just don't want to prove the the doubters wrong. You know, you finish 6th after being predicted to finish 10th. You feel good, but nobody's going to remember a year in which you finish 6th in the Big 12. Nobody whatsoever. People in Manhattan will. Just like KU this year in football was projected to finish 10th, they finished 8th. I'm pretty sure everybody in Lawrence will remember the year that Lance Leipold had in year two with Kansas. But nationally, people kind of forget about that. Jerome Tang wants to put Kansas State on the map. He's already done that. K-State, assuming they beat Texas Tech on Saturday, will be top ten nationally. They will be probably seven or eighth in the country. And I don't see them falling anytime soon. Yes, they're going to have more losses, just like Kansas is going to have more losses, just like Iowa State's going to have more losses. But now it really uh, raises some eyebrows nationally. Now, what can Kansas State do in the NCAA tournament? You know, are they going to be a team that gets a three or four seed and doesn't make it out of the first weekend? Are they playing bad basketball at the time? Are they playing better than they are right now? It's all up in the air at this point. I think the beauty of college basketball is that when you have a team like this that has a first-year head coach, they're overachieving, you know, what can you go off of? This is Jerome Tang's first head coaching job. You know, at Kansas, you know, they've had losses like this before. They've lost to Kansas State in January before. They've lost with good teams before. You know, you go back to a year where I believe they had the Morris Twins, Tyrell Reed, Brady Morningstar, Tyshawn Taylor. Uh, It was a team that lost to VCU in the Elite Eight, but that team had two regular season losses, I want to say, two or three heading into the NCAA tournament. And they lost by 18 to Kansas State that year in Manhattan. 
but you can always chalk it up of going, they lose in January, they'll still win the Big 12 or they'll finish first or second. No, Kansas State with Jerome Tang, the beauty of it is we don't really know what a Jerome Tang team looks like, what the ceiling is. We can guess, make our best predictions, and right now I think a lot of people would say, hey, this is a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team, not because they can't get to a Final Four, but it's because it's a little bit of a crapshoot in the NCAA tournament. you got to get lucky. you got to have favorable matchups. And sometimes when you have guys playing in that position for the first time in a long time or ever, they can crumble a bit. And Kansas State basketball, aside from a couple of years where they were a two-seed under Frank Martin, they've never had the expectation to go far in the tournament. I think this Kansas State team will probably hover around a 3-4 or a 5-seed, probably leaning more towards the 3-side. And you have the expectation of going far. How do you handle that pressure? So far, Kansas State in their ranked matchups in Big 12 play, they haven't been favored. You know, playing West Virginia, not favored. That would have been an upset. It was an upset. You beat Texas, they weren't favored. Played Baylor on the road, weren't favored. Played Kansas at home, weren't favored. Now it's about, okay, you got to handle that pressure. Handle the expectation of, you're a good basketball team. You're going to get people's best shot. You're no longer the spunky underdog. You're not at Kansas level. You're not at Baylor level two years ago. You're not at Texas level, just because those teams have done it with more consistency. But Jerome Tang has these guys probably playing at the top of the Big 12 for the next couple of years, assuming that he stays. And I don't think he has any reason to leave when you build up a program like Kansas State. The fan base loves him. He's going to get the support from boosters. His players love playing for him. And he's going to get a lot of transfer deals. I mean, you think about Keontae Johnson. For as good as he is, he didn't go to North Carolina. He didn't go to Duke. He didn't go to Michigan. He didn't go to any of those top teams in the Big Ten, Indiana, Ohio State. Purdue. No, he's stayed locally, not locally here, but he wanted to go to Kansas State. He wanted to play for Jerome Tang. He didn't want to go to the SEC. He didn't want to play for Kansas. Kansas State sought him out, got him, and he's been one of the best players in the Big 12. This Kansas State team is truly unbelievable. I really have no words for how to describe them because I'll admit when I'm wrong, I think I was thinking there was always going to be one point in the season where they kind of show that they're still in that, not rebuilding phase, but retooling phase. You know, losing a couple of non-con games and being very competitive. You know, getting smacked around in the Big 12, but a couple of times pulling off some upsets. They're a top team in the Big 12. They are a team right now that should finish in the top four. Top three, maybe. Hell, they have a good chance of winning the conference now. But it's about maintaining your level of success when you have that target on your back. You know, very few times have they gone into Allen Fieldhouse and the Jayhawks are seeking revenge. I mean, KU's going to be unbelievably pissed off. That'll be the angriest crowd Allen Fieldhouse has had in a long, long time. Maybe if you want to take the chance that it was Missouri last year just because it was Missouri, well, Missouri wasn't the level Kansas State's at. This will be a very angry crowd they go into. I mean, they'll get Texas's best shot in Manhattan. They'll get their best shot from Texas Tech in Lubbock. They'll get their best shot from Baylor in Manhattan. Best shot from Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Oklahoma will be a tough out. TCU will give them another good test in Manhattan. There's still a gauntlet of games they have to go through. But they have set themselves up very nicely to be a top three seed, top four seed in the NCAA tournament, compete for a Big 12 title, and in just 18 games under Jerome Tang. A truly unbelievable stuff by Kansas State. As for Kansas, 
Uh, you don't even need to chalk it up that you played poorly. Uh, missed opportunities, but I think that's taking away too much from Kansas State. Yeah, he didn't shoot well from deep, didn't shoot well from the free throw line. Bill Self had a bad timeout where Jalen Wilson had a dagger three-pointer in overtime. Bleep happens. Right, you're still 16-2. and two. You can swallow this tough pill and move on. You have TCU on Saturday. You can't sulk too long. Now that Jalen Wilson had a great quote last night saying the beauty of the Big 12, we get to see him again. It's not like football. You know, football, you face him one time, you got a year to sit on that loss. Basketball, they get two weeks. You know, and Kansas State's going to celebrate this win, as they deservedly should. You know, Kansas, they can soak all they want, but they've got a top-20 team coming to Lawrence on Saturday. They turn it back around, they got to go to Waco next week. And then Lexington to face a Kentucky team that's suddenly hot next weekend. It does not get any easier for Kansas. You want to respond, show that you're a tough team, physically and mentally, got to bounce back from a loss like this to Kansas State. Marco, any takeaways before we head to break on the Sunflower Showdown with Kansas State winning in overtime 83-82? to Yeah, so I was just going through um, the history of the rival- rivalry because um, you had talked about Jerome Tang and this being a different Kansas State teams than um, – Already than what we've seen from a Bruce Weber, Kansas State team, a Bob Huggins, one or Bob Huggins, although he was only there for one team, um, Frank Martin team, of course, um, fitting there as well. Um, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I agree with you on all that, and that Jerome Tang is the real deal, and that the hiring of him was not only just turning around a um, basketball team, but turning around a program um, in its entirety. Uh, did, did you mention something about Chris Kleiman there? I could be confusing conversations, mixing conversations up. No, I, I said did. that okay. if Chris Kleiman, if he was to go to the student body at a football game and say, we're not chanting FKU, yeah. we're not doing it, we're above that, don't need to degrade the other team, I don't think they'd listen. Jerome Tang grabbing the mic last night after the game with the students on the floor and then leading the chant for KSU. That's right. I think. He actually may have stopped it last time. I really do believe, and I, again, I, like I said, I don't care about the chant. I think it's great for a rivalry. Mm-hmm. You may say it's classless. I think sometimes people just get butthurt about chants. But I think Jerome Tang genuinely hates the chant. He doesn't want his student body to react in that way. He wants them to respect the opponent. And if you win games, you'll get respect. And I feel like Jerome Tang last night may have put an end to that chant. Because if it happens yeah. again, I mean, you think about it. Jerome Tang wants to be at Kansas State. I think the only thing, really, that would drive him away, it's not money. It wouldn't be Texas going out and giving him money. It would be people not listening to him. But I I think Jerome Tang has done so well so far at Kansas State, not only with winning basketball games, but showing what he wants the culture to be, changing the culture. And last night was about as pressive as it could get for a first-year head coach. You beat Bill Self in your first chance to go at him as a head coach. It was an overtime thriller. There were calls to win against you. There were calls to win for you. It was a physical game. You were playing a Kansas team that had lost one time all year and to a top-10 team nationally in Tennessee. But at the end of the day, it's also about showing that it's more than just wins with culture. You know, you can change a culture by winning games. You also want to establish structure and a foundation. Jerome Tang's already done that. And, yeah, the chance it doesn't. It really doesn't matter to me. I think that's what makes rivalries great. I mean, you you would be lying if you said that you've been to a sporting event and you've never 
hurled a curse word at the opposing team, participated in a chant that maybe had profanity. You've done it. You've done it in high school. You've done it in college. You've done it as an adult. Hell, you may have done it accidentally around a kid that was at the game. That's a part of being at a sporting event. Now, there's certain things you shouldn't say. And yes, there are going to be elderly people at the game. There's going to be four-year-olds and five-year-olds that hear that, and it's very audible to hear. But I think Jerome Tang factors all that in. But to the point, Marco, I think that Jerome Tang, the only thing that would make him leave Kansas State is if he continuously said, don't do that, we're better than that, and then the student body or the fan base just didn't listen to him. And he'd go, I don't want to be a part of this. Jerome Tang, to me, feels like that type of guy. Uh, Yeah, definitely. If he feels like that... Because at the end of the day, and I think Nate Bucati said it really well this morning when he when Stephen asked him what he thought about it, he said that Jerome it looked like Jerome Tain's trying to be a program leader. He's trying to build his own program. It's his program, and he acted like it last night, which you should. And so I think that that may be. And you talk about him being a big a big deal down there. I think you're absolutely right. I think that Jerome Tang, what you just said there. Is, sums it up too. He wants to be somewhere where he can build a program, and not and have that full, uh, full range of uh, of um, creation, and just um, or I guess just have that hands on um, that hands on type of uh, t- type of role. So that's something that you can do at K-State because Chris Kleiman, he walk, he comes in, he's hired into an already um, well-respected, well-built football program that was set by the greatest coach in K-State football history. Jerome Tang, who is the greatest basketball coach in K-State history? And, and who who is the coach for K-State that owns Kansas? I'm having trouble because, because if you look at it, last night K-State – it was really their time to win, considering they hadn't won since 2019. And before that, hadn't won since 2015. Um, and then before their win in 2014, 2011. Before that, 2008. I mean, who was – the last time they won back-to-back games against Kansas was back in 1993 and 94. Yeah. It, 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 you, Jerome Tang is the answer that K-State needed. It's looking like it right now as early, this early on, but – they 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 needed that badly, and your last night's win was not only a statement win, but it was it was an announce it was an announcement, and that's why he he that's another thing he 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 wanted that control of the of the student section he wanted because he knew that they were going to be on national TV and how do, and if you're going to be announcing yourself like that to the to the country, um you you want to you want to make sure you do it right and Jerome Tang you want to make sure he did it his way because this is at the end of the day his program that he's building. And it's so important when you are building up a program. I think for a Kansas fan, shockingly, and I can speak from this because I am a Kansas fan, the minute Kansas State stops storming the court, and I also, I'm pro-storming the court, storming the field. I think that it's cool. It's fun for college kids. I've been on the field before. It's Let them have fun, right? I've never, if you say, oh, storming the court's real classy, right? You're number 13 in the nation. Have fun. So, okay, here's my question to you. Okay. Because I was thinking about it last night. I see why Jerome, Jerome Tang is like, all right, you got your one. Because how many times have you seen a court storming at Cameron Indoor? How many times have you seen a court storm yeah. at Allen Fieldhouse? All the top programs at, at their home court. Some of the best home court uh, home, home, home court advantages in all of college basketball. When have you seen a court storming there? You, 
if ever. I don't. I remember there's one snapshot of a few Kansas fans rushing the court after they beat Texas back in the early 2000s, and then they were immediately escorted off by security. There wasn't a lot of them out there, but it's about tradition that you built there. And what's great about Jerome Tang is that he doesn't look at Kansas State as a team that can never get there. Not a team that just is overachieving a great year, but next year we're not going to be able to have that level of success. He wants to build a true winner at Kansas State. And as a Kansas fan, a nightmare scenario is not losing to Kansas State, losing to a good Kansas State team. It's not. As bad as it stung last night, and believe me, it hurt last night watching that game because it's your rival. You never want to lose to your rival. But the minute Kansas State stops storming the court against Kansas, you know that you're then level as a team. Not overall history and tradition, but you think about it. Go to football, for example. The first time Kansas football beats Kansas State, hell, the first couple times, they're rushing the field. It doesn't matter because for 15 times, 15 years, Kansas State just dominated KU. So you let the students have their fun, they storm the court, but you think about it. If you were a K-State fan, the minute KU football wouldn't storm the, the field, after beating you, you feel like, oh, damn, uh, they don't really think of us that much of a superior program. And since the 90s, hell, the 80s, every time K-State's won at Bramwich, they've stormed the court. And, again, I don't care if it's number one versus number two. Have fun. You're college kids. You want to go do it, go do it. That's a part of being a kid. And for a lot of those those kids last night in attendance, they hadn't seen any close games, really, at Bramwich, except for last year. But it was a crushing loss after they led by 17 in the second half. You know, that was for those guys last night. And I think Jerome Tang understood that, but he's going, from here on out, we expect to win. I don't want to see this again. We play Texas. We play Baylor. We play TCU here. Do not rush the court. It doesn't matter if we lose all of our games from here on out. You're not rushing the court. If we're underdogs, we expect to win here. That's changing the culture. That's important. And I think that he did that last night. He's done that all year long. I cannot wait for this matchup in Allen Fieldhouse again because you are going to get equally, if not more, of a hostile environment, and we'll see. You know, I think that we've seen bad coaches at Kansas State beat KU and Bramlage because they've got the crowd on their side. KU may play poorly, but no K-State team has beaten KU at Allen Fieldhouse since 2006. The Cartier-Martin game. 2006. It's been over 15 years since a K-State team has won an Allen Fieldhouse. Not saying that he's going to go in there and win, but now there's that pressure now. You already beat him once. So KU may use that diluted fantasy of, oh, we're the underdogs now. Now we got to kick somebody's ass. That's not a throwing somebody to the wolves type of game, but I am very curious to see how K-State responds in that game because they are going to get a hate-fueled crowd with a hate-fueled team on the floor. Should be a fantastic round two matchup later on. So it's what makes college basketball great. But K-State certainly enjoying their win from last night over KU, 83-82 in overtime. They'll be back back in action on Saturday against Texas Tech. KU will be hosting the TCU Horn Frogs in Lawrence on Saturday as well. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, our three keys to the game is back. How can the Chiefs top the Jaguars and move on to their fifth consecutive AFC championship game? We'll talk about it next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. 
I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Well, it finally feels good to talk some Chiefs football again. We had to go through all last week previewing wildcard rounds, and it's fun. It's postseason football, but couldn't talk any Chiefs. Could talk potential opponents, but now we can actually talk about a game where we have an opponent in place for the Kansas City Chiefs. They will be the first one, the first one to go this weekend. It'll be on Saturday at 3.30 at Arrowhead Stadium, Jags and Chiefs, Kansas City, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. The total in that game is 53. It'll be on NBC. They've already faced off this year. We are completely aware of what happened the last time around when these teams faced back on November 13th. Chiefs won 27-17. Score was a lot closer than it was at the end of the game. Or closer a lot closer at the end of the game than it really was for the first three and a half quarters. Now the Chiefs led big. They didn't win the turnover battle. Patrick Mahomes was pretty damn good in the game. 26-35, four touchdowns, one pick, and 331 yards passing. Trevor Lawrence didn't make too many mistakes. 29-40, two touchdowns, no picks, 259 yards. Chiefs could not contain Christian Kirk, I'll tell you that. Nine catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns, but the Jags also could not contain Isaiah Pacheco or Travis Kelsey, both those guys giving 80 scrimmage yards apiece. The Chiefs had nearly 500 yards of offense in that game. The Jags just over 300. Chiefs also ran for 155 yards on the ground, uh, but they did have three turnovers. There were some fumbling issues. Patrick Mahomes had a bad interception in that game. But the Chiefs comfortably won, and I think what's different this time around is that the Jags went into that game with the no-pressure sort of feel. They went in at 3-7. and seven. They were not expecting to play for a top spot in the AFC South because the Titans hadn't collapsed yet. They went into Kansas City. Doug Peterson playing his former boss, and you could say it at that, mentor, you know, leader, whatever you want to say, and he's going, the only way we win is if we play with free and ease, no pressure, balls to the walls, aggressiveness. They did an onside kick to open up the game and recovered it. But the Jags were not where the Jags are now. Now, they're playing with house money. Since that loss to Kansas City, they are 7-1. and one. So now they're going into Arrowhead Stadium, still an underdog, still not expected to win, but they're not the we can go that aggressive anymore because it's a postseason game. You can't be going for it at fourth and five from your own 35-yard line in the first quarter. You can't be kicking onside kicks because now the Chiefs are going to be ready for that. They know you got to expect anything from this Jacksonville team. But there's a lot of flaws still with this Jacksonville offense. You don't have five turnovers in a game, four in your first five series, and be this perfectly dominant team. No, I thought it's I thought it was very interesting yesterday. I was listening to Colin Coward, and he said that I think this will be one of the blowouts this weekend because the Chiefs coming off a bye, Andy Reid coming off a bye, have been pretty much flawless. They are a damn good team coming off a bye. They're playing at home. Crowd will be revved up. And the Jaguars are coming off an incredibly emotional game. You trailed 27 to nothing. You hosted one of your first playoff games since 2016, I believe it was, against... Buffalo, so it had been a while, been seven years, 
Crowd was loud. They're into it. You beat a Chargers team that everybody's predicting to be in the AFC Championship game. Super Bowl favorite, Justin Herbert, yada, yada, yada. So you have that emotional come from behind win. Close out the game on a 31-3 run. To me, though, a lot of Jacksonville fans are going, we already have had our great moment. You're always expecting more. You really are. They're not going in this game saying, well, it's all right if we lose. They'll still be pissed off if you lose. But the Jags were the number one overall pick in the draft this past year. They won the AFC South. They had a winning record. Nobody expected that. They were 3-8, and eight, dead in the water. Now 7-1 and one since. They play the Chargers in the wildcard round. A loaded Chargers team. They were dead in the water again, 27 nothing, And kind of like a microcosm of their entire year, dead in the water, came back from the dead. You have that emotional win, and you want to ride that out as long as you can. Like I've said about the Jags before, you're playing with house money. When you're playing with house money, you have no pressure, you have no fear. You also have to factor in, as Trevor Lawrence's second postseason game. Yes, he's undefeated in Saturday games in high school, college, and the NFL. But he's never played in the postseason at Arrowhead Stadium against Patrick Mahomes, against Andy Reid. He may have played him in the regular season, but we saw all year long the Chiefs not really take their opponents that seriously in the regular season, at least inferior ones. When it gets to postseason time, the Chiefs almost always take their opponents seriously. Last year, they messed around a little bit with the Steelers in the wild card round. You know, the Steelers led 7 to nothing at one point. The Chiefs won, what was it, 44 to 20 something? It wasn't close. Their offense throws the kitchen sink at everybody. The Jaguars' pass defense is terrible, and that just reeks of a blowout. You don't want to be overzealous here, overconfident. It's still the postseason, anything can happen, and the Jags just took down the Chargers. You know, even if the Chargers, or the Jaguars, excuse me, fall behind by two scores, you got to step on their throat. You can't let them hang around because they've shown they can come back even after committing five turnovers. Problem is, you commit five turnovers on the road, you're not winning that game, you're losing by 20 to 30 points, especially against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Chargers, they're a good team. Nobody can discredit it. They are offensively talented, not very great defensively, but they've got talent on that side of the ball. But they crumble. They charge her. That's what we've always said here on the shift, which you hear all the time, national media, Kansas City. They charge her. They find a way to choke games away. The Chiefs have choked games away, but also against really equal opponents, like the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills. The Jags are on a level of the Chiefs. They are a good team. They're a team right now, though, that is overachieving. They are the true underdog left in the postseason, even more so than the New York Giants. So key number one, been rambling on and on about setting a stage for this matchup. Key number one, uh, you got to attack that pass defense very early on. You've heard me before say this team is to establish the run. Now get Isaiah Pacheco involved in. You ran for 155 on the ground in this matchup back in mid-November. So yeah, you can run the ball, and I'm sure that Andy Reid will try to get Isaiah Pacheco the touches. I think Clyde will be available. Jarek McKinnon, of course, will be available. You'll have your weapons. But this is a game where you really need to go out there and attack this pass defense early on. Now, a big lead, that's still not good enough for me. It's about putting your foot down when you get that big lead. Now, this defense is built to play with a two-score lead. They're not going to shut teams down in a three- or five-point advantage. No final drive of the game. They're not shutting down Joe Burrow or Josh Down or Trevor Lawrence. 
I wouldn't feel confident if Trevor Lawrence has the ball with a minute 20 to go and they're down by three. I don't have confidence the defense can stop them. But this defense, with a lead, can play just a little bit better. You know, just bend, don't break. Holding the field goals. But the way they got to a big lead here, I think you got to attack that Jag secondary with ferocity. Might be the first time I've used that word on the show. Ferocity. I want to see Patrick Mahomes go nuclear with this offensive scheme. You know, I want to see him spreading the ball around. And I mean, first drive. You know, I always said, why don't you give the ball to Pacheco, get four or five carries on that first drive. No. I want to see eight or nine throws from Mahomes. You know, the quick outs, the five-yard quick outs, getting it to second and three. Throw it again. Play action. Travis Kelsey. Open up for Juju down the field. Now, McCole Hardman likely not going to be available. It's okay. Sliding Kadarius Tony. We saw how effective he could be against the Raiders in Week 17. You're rested up. You're healthy. Throw the kitchen sink at the Jags early on. Do not play with your food. No messing around. No toying with the Jags. You got to come out and punch them in the mouth. There are two teams. I truly believe there are two teams that beat you with the Tyson Holyfield Foreman knockout punch. Kansas City, Buffalo. They live and die by throwing the haymaker punch in the first round. And for some teams, they don't get off the mat. Now, it has hurt Kansas City before, where if you miss or that team gets up off the mat and hits you with another knockout punch, then you're staggering a little bit. But the Jags are a team, I feel like if you hit them hard enough, even after their performance last week against the Jags, they're not getting back up. You hit them hard, two touchdowns in your first series, Hold the Jags scoreless, maybe to three points. I think you run away with this game. So attack that secondary of Jacksonville with ferocity. Number two, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to make a couple of mistakes in this game. He really is. Uh, you don't have four interceptions on your first five offensive series and all of a sudden come back and play this perfectly clean game. And especially not on the road. And especially not at Arrowhead Stadium. He was clean against the Chiefs in that first go-around. But I think right now Trevor Lawrence is not taking care of the ball in a very comfortable way. He's taking chances. He's taking risks because I think he was fired up, had some nerves, was anxious, knew he had to perform well against a guy like Justin Herbert. He has that same pressure against a guy like Patrick Mahomes. So for this defense, it's about not not so much capitalizing. Because I feel like you capitalize on mistakes if you force the turnover and then you go down and score. But you cannot give those second and third chances. No dropped interceptions. If there's a fumble, your ass better fall on it. If they're going to gift you those turnovers, because the only way Jacksonville stays in this game is if they play a clean game. They can't have the four turnovers. They can't have the two or three turnovers. Hell, if they have two turnovers, they're not beating the Chiefs. They have to play so clean in this game against this Chiefs defense that it almost hurts. It has to be such a flawless, 100% clean game for them to beat the Chiefs because that's how good the Chiefs are offensively. That's how good the Chiefs are coming off a bye, how good Andy Reid is coming off a bye. So when they give you those mistakes, and they're going to make a couple, there's going to be a ball on the ground, there's going to be a pass that's thrown in double coverage, you get an interception, you fall on that fumble, that game flips because then the Jags are thinking, we got to play from behind. They do not want to let this game get out of control late first quarter, early second quarter, like it did against the Chargers. Because you fall behind by two scores, I just don't see you coming back against Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. So when they give you those mistakes, you got to take them. You can't allow those second and third chances. So I think that's a better sentence for key number two. 
Do not allow second and third chances for the Jaguars' offense. And key number three, I think the Chiefs have a lead in this game. I think they have a pretty big lead at one point. But it's about maintaining the aggressiveness. Don't want to see the play calling revert back to what it usually does. They simplify things. Don't turn it over. In the postseason, do not play not to lose. You play to win. To quote Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. You want to be aggressive. If it's working in the first quarter, make sure it works in the second, third, and fourth. You lead 21-3, to do not take your foot off the gas pedal. All gas, no brakes. You let the Jags hang around, they're going to get confidence. They're going to get that game close. So those are my three keys to the game. Number one, attack that Jags secondary with ferocity. Number two, if they make a mistake, you got to take it. They give you those mistakes, you got to take it. No second and third chances for that Jags offense. And number three, do not dumb down the offense with a lead. You got to stay aggressive. It's the postseason, there's no tomorrow. You got to win and move on. You should have learned from the AFC Championship game. No lead is safe in the postseason against any opponent. So the only way to avoid that is you got to keep that same offensive game plan that got you to that big lead. So those are my three keys to the game, Marco. Any you want to add on to or double down on before we wrap up the show with some fact or fiction? Uh, headphone was broken there. Uh-oh, board's running out on me. It's there an old go. board anyway. Dude, <laughs> you, you, you were there. I could hear myself, and then I popped out. But uh, <laughs> um, key for the show tomorrow, no no mess-ups by the board. Um, For the Chiefs Saturday, uh, I really think uh, challenge Travis, Travis, challenge Trevor Lawrence uh, pass, to throw the football in this one. What I really think um, benefited the Chiefs this past week was that they got to see two sides of Jacksonville uh, on Saturday, this past Saturday. They got to see the absolute worst of Jacksonville, and they got to see the absolute best of Jacksonville. So do what the Chargers were – try to mimic or see what the Chargers were doing in the first half of that game defensively to um, – Put Trevor Lawrence uh, in the position, or for, how they forced him to turn the ball over as much as he did, um, and just inaccurate as well as a passer. The wide receivers on this uh, Jacksonville team—they're good. They're not great. Don't look at the money that they're paying Christian Kirk. Um, he's been a solid receiver for them, but he's not uh, a top five. I have to look for a top ten, uh, probably not. So uh, force Trevor Lawrence to be who he is. Um, be that first half Trevor Lawrence um, that we saw in Jacksonville uh, because you don't have to worry about the moment being too big. Uh, he like we saw we saw he's got the first career playoff start under his belt. That's great. Um, won't have to experience that again, but he still has to experience a playoff game in Arrowhead. So um, you, that part of it is going to be there. Uh, so the defensive part of it is up to the schematics and of course Steve Spagnolo. How how did how, how did the Chargers get him to turn the ball over? Um go out there and fi- and or go find that and do that uh on Saturday. You know, with this Jacksonville offense, one guy didn't even mention those three keys, Christian Kirk. I mean, he cooked the Chiefs secondary first time around. Now, if I'm not mistaken though, Marco, the Chiefs have Trent McDuffie in that game. I want to say they didn't. Because Trent McDuffie was back. Was he back against the Chargers? I think he was back the next week, was he not? I can't remember which game that he returned for. Looking right now, because the Chargers was the game after that, and that would make 
That he does may have seem been right. back. I'm not seeing him on the uh, on the stat on the stat sheet or snap sheet from uh, Jacksonville. So no, I don't think he was. Oh wait, yep, here it he was. He did. Okay, he so did he did play, play in, in that game. Yeah, he was back against Tennessee the week before. Okay, uh, but these are young cornerbacks that now have a little bit more familiarity, a little bit more comfortable. They've gotten their feet wet. Trusting guys like Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, Trent McDuffie to handle that workload against guys like Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Of course, LeJerry Sneed's going to be there, but you need that help from your young secondary. Let's finish up with some fact or fiction. Five questions, five takes, and under five minutes, Mark of Fireway. Jack, fact or fiction, K- KU will beat K-State by 15 at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, it's going to be a very angry team, angry crowd, and a reason to beat down Kansas State, but I'm not going to say 15-plus. This Kansas State team is very good. You get out with the win, I think that's good enough. So I'll go fiction. Don't think KU dominates K-State by 15-plus at Allen Fieldhouse. K-State will be a better, will be a three-seater better in March. I think three or four makes a lot of sense for this team. I don't think they're going to bottom out. The only way that would happen, knock on wood, uh, is if somebody got hurt in that starting five and talking about Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel, you never want that to happen, but as long as they stay healthy, I think they'll be a top three seed in the NCAA tournament, so I'll go fact on that. Factor fiction, Jerome Tang gets an, ex- gets an extension. They got to back up the truck for him, man, because the better Kansas State gets here, and if they compete for a Big 12 title in year one after being predicted to finish dead last in the conference, um, they're going to have every team in the country calling him. Kansas State needs to give him the money. I think they will do that. You don't just let a guy like him walk away after one year. I'll go fact that they will give him an extension to stay in Manhattan. Fact or fiction, Patrick Mahomes has more than 350 yards passing in this game Saturday. It's playoff Pat, man. Playoff Pat is a different animal, a different beast. And I think it's this Jag secondary. He is going to have a whale of a game. I think he'll throw the ball 40 to 45 times. I think he'll be inching close to 400 yards. I could be completely wrong, but... We saw in the postseason last year, exception of the AFC title game, he can throw all over any type of defense. It's just hoping that the, the play calling can benefit him in this game. So I'll go fact, I think he will have over 350 on Saturday. Lastly, fact or fiction, Chiefs win the turnover battle. I think fact, I think they'll have a clean game offensively. They have made a lot. They have committed a lot of turnovers this year. I just think in the postseason, it's a little bit different. You get the kitchen sink game, play a little bit cleaner. I think the Jags, they're going to have at least two turnovers in this game. We'll go two to one uh, in favor of Jacksonville having two turnovers, Kansas City just having one in this game. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City. Hey,